0: So this morning I'm really excited to share. Uh, my, my, the title of my message is the Spirit of Sonship, and it's something God has put in my heart for weeks and weeks to share, and it's something He's been teaching me a lot about this year specifically. I'm going to need a lot of grace to try and f- share everything I want to share this morning in the allocated time frame, but uh, I'm really looking forward to this message. And I've uh, broken this up into three parts. I know some people like to have like methodical points. Um, I don't usually do this, but I've just decided to break the sermon up into three parts. Part one, established in grace. Part two, called into sonship. And part three, embracing the spirit of sonship. So let's have a look at part one, being established in grace. Let me start with a scripture in Hebrews 13 verse 9. It says this, Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines, for it is good that the heart be established by grace not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. Now, in, in the church today, you know, if you, if you preach a lot of grace, you are seen as a false teacher. Sometimes, in many places, it's like accusations come that this guy is just telling everyone God loves them, he loves them unconditionally, but actually, the Bible says, do not be carried away with various and strange doctrines. How do you not get carried away with various and strange doctrines? By being established in grace. By being established in grace. What is grace? What is God's grace? It is His unmerited favor towards you. It is God giving to you what you do not deserve. When God gave us Jesus, He gave us grace. We didn't deserve Jesus. We didn't deserve that kind of love. We didn't deserve the Savior. But God freely gave Jesus to us and Jesus freely gave up his life for us so when we live under this grace this revelation that God is love his heart towards me is grace that's when our hearts become established in grace Romans 5 verse 1 to 2 says this therefore having been justified by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ do you know that you have been justified by faith what does that mean it means that God says, You are righteous in my eyes. I've washed you clean by the blood. I've made you righteous. You can stand before me declared just. In, if it was like in a court of law, God would hammer down and say, Justified. You've been made righteous. Yeah. And another um, a Greek interpretation of the word justified can also mean declared innocent. Wow. Do you know that you've been declared innocent in God's eyes? And so we've been justified by faith, and now we have peace with God. What an awesome thing to have peace with God. When you're praying to God, you have peace with Him, and He has peace with you. Sometimes we, we come into prayer, and we have a consciousness that God is not pleased with us and there's no peace, but actually we've been justified by faith, and we have peace with him through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the key, through Jesus. So through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. I feel like I always preach on this, but because we've been justified by faith, because God says you're righteous in my eyes based on what Christ has done, You are now standing in grace. We are standing in grace. We have access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. We're standing in God's grace. So every day you wake up, you are on grace ground. When you roll out of bed, you're on grace ground. When you go to work, you're in God's grace. What an awesome thought that you're living your life in God's grace. Growing in grace. Peter says, grow in the grace and knowledge of God. Of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's how we grow and that's how we live our lives. So how do we have this privilege? How do we have this inheritance? Because God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. At the cross, Jesus took every single one of our sins. Every single one. Not one sin was left unpunished. God took our sin and he gave us his righteousness. They call it the divine exchange. He took our sin and he gave us his righteousness. And that's why some people call it the scandal of grace. Because it's almost, it is almost scandalous that our holy God, holy, 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 would stoop down, come through man, and willfully give up his life to sinful man, for sinful man, so that we could become the righteousness of God in Him. Jesus gave us His righteousness. He gave us His holiness. So never look to yourself to establish your own righteousness. Always look to Christ for His righteousness. That's why in fact it says, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. We think righteousness, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Got to look out for these little nuggets of revelation in scripture. So, established in grace. That's just the foundation I wanted to lay in part one. Now, part two. We are called into sonship. Okay. This is God's dream. This is God's dream. And this was from the Old Testament. Paul quoted it in Corinthians. Just, just hear God's heart for you and I. 2 Corinthians 6 verse 16. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. It goes on in verse 18 and says, I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. This is the father's dream. It's always been God's dream to dwell with us, walk among us. Think about it. When God created Adam and Eve, he walked with them in the garden. It was just relationship. And this is God's dream I will walk with them I will be I will be their God and they will be my people and then he goes on to say I will be a father I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters so God's heart has always been to have sons and daughters not slaves not servants outside the house sons and daughters that he will walk with have a relationship with commune with that's god's heart but of course man sinned in the garden and sin entered the world sin entered man and we went wayward we god gave us everything and we chose the other way unfortunately and after many, many years, of, once Adam had sinned, after many years, God was still dealing graciously. He was, giving, he was blessing Abraham. You can read the story of Joseph, how he blessed Joseph. But after some time, God gave the law. He gave the law through Moses. Now, I want to just, for the next bit, I just want to talk about why God gave the law and now where we are today today as Christians, as sons and daughters, because this will help us understand our sonship. You'll see it later. Okay. First reason, and this is going to shock you. It's going to shock you. Romans 5 verse 20, Paul says this, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Thank God. Thank God that where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Okay. I'll stay with me here, the law entered that sin might abound. So here's the thing. We rejected God in the garden, or well, essentially we chose sin, and then mankind, I mean God sent the flood, there's all of that history, but mankind became very, very wicked and sinful, And people were not choosing God. They were creating their own idols, their own temples that were not of God. Okay? Are you following me? But the thing is this man did not see his need for God, which is a problem. And it's still the case today with millions of people. They do not see their need for God, they do not know how far we have fallen. That, you know, Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. Mm. So, without Christ, we nothing. And it's important to to know that, because all we are is because of who He is. Right. So that we can always trust in Him, always lean on Him, always look to Him. But when we think that we don't need God, we, we stumble, we fall. It's prideful. So, God gave the law. Why? So that sin might increase. It's not that the law is sinful. We know that the law is holy. The law is perfect. The law is just. But God gave the law so that people would, would see their need for Jesus. And I'm getting to that now. Let me just show this next verse. Romans three nineteen to 20. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. So God did this. In his wisdom, God gave the law so that people would see their need for Jesus, that everyone would become guilty before God. Because as long as there was no law under the Old Testament, people would not see that, my goodness. People would just think, I can carry on. I don't need God. I can just live whatever life I want to and there will be no consequences. But God's heart has always been to walk with us, to be our God, that we would be His people, that we would be His sons and daughters. And as long as we are not living in that place, we are not living the abundant life. Remember, God's heart is always abundant life for you and I. Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Okay? So... I'm going to share this verse, and I'm going to use a little illustration, which hopefully will pull the pieces together. Galatians 323 to 24. But before faith came, we were kept under God by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. So we've seen that God gave the law to that sin may abound, He gave the law so that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Why? Because the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ. The law brought us to Christ. Now, to make this clearer, can I ask Naaman and Dave to come up? Let's just do a little illustration here. Naaman, you can come this side. Okay, can we see this on the live stream? Cool. So you can stand here, Dave. Okay. Okay. So Naaman is going to be the average Jewish person under the law because the law was given to the Jewish people. Strictly speaking, the law was given to Israel, okay? But sometimes you and I, we put ourselves under the law and we've been taught law, so we think we must be under law. So this will be you and I and the Jewish people, okay? Dave is Jesus. He's a good-looking Jesus there. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Can you come just a bit further forward here? And I, I am the law. I'm the tutor. Okay. Now, before we do this, let me just show you this. This word tutor in the Greek is this unique word called pedagogue. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. But essentially, the Greek definition means this. It's a tutor, i.e., a guardian and guard of boys, among the Greeks and the Romans, the name was applied to trustworthy slaves who were charged with the duty of supervising the life and morals of boys belonging to the better class. The boys were not allowed so much as to step out of the house without them before arriving at the age of manhood. Okay, so essentially in, in this context, in that day and age, the Greeks and Romans, okay, so... In the, in the better class, the wealthier families, the father of the house, if he had boys, he would uh, um, get the, the pedagogue, who's like a trustworthy slave, to look after this boy. Now, this slave would tell the boy exactly what to do all the time. He would make sure the boy wakes up at the right time, he would make sure that the boy eats breakfast at the right time, that the boy wears the right clothes, he would take the boy to school, and you, the boy wouldn't even be allowed to leave the house without the pedagogue. Okay, are you following? And then, you name it. The, the boy was basically under complete control of this pedagogue. All right. So, Paul says, the law was like our pedagogue to bring us to Christ. Okay. So, I'm the pedagogue. Mm-hmm. And you are like us and the Jewish people under the law. Okay. Okay. Take two steps forward, take one step right, slide to the left, see, slide to the right, two hops now, (laughs) y'all, okay, you know, if you want to obey, you must do everything I say, because you are under me, okay, take another step forward, now do three (laughs) backflips. get hurt i can't do that you can't do it are you sure so you're guilty you're guilty yeah okay take another step forward by the way you're under the curse because you've disobeyed i'm being serious okay now jump five meters in the air okay now Christ has come you have a choice you can either carry on with me Or you can just choose Jesus. He's paid for your sins, he's covered it all, Mm. but you have a choice. You can either take Jesus as your righteousness, you can choose to follow Jesus, or you can stay with me. What's your choice? Okay, (laughs) no-brainer. Okay, hallelujah. You see, that was the purpose of the law. Do you see it? Because what it did was, it made Naaman realize, I can't do this on my own i need a savior and jesus comes and look here it says after faith has come we are no longer under a tutor so the law was our tutor to bring us to christ now we have jesus it's a new and living way it's a better way and we're no longer under the tutor now would it not be foolish if naaman now is having a great time with jesus and then naaman decides Oh, actually, I missed the pedagogue. Let me go back. But we do that. That's what we do. So it's very important that we understand the purpose of the law and why God gave the law, and now we enjoy Jesus. Okay. Thanks, guys. You can sit down. Thank you. Okay. Now, obviously, these pedagogues back then, once the boys had grown up and they had reach, uh, reached manhood, they were no longer needed, okay? Of course, if, imagine a 20-year-old boy now, a 20-year-old man now being told by the pedagogue, have you eaten your breakfast? Nice shirt, are you ready for university? Okay, it would be strange. It wouldn't be right, because now they've reached maturity. And in fact, there's this, let me just read this quote, there's this uh, scholar, and he wrote uh, by the name of Richard Longnecker, and he wrote this in 1982, he did this whole study on the pedagogue, and this was his conclusion, one of his conclusions, he said, the guardianship of the Mosaic law was meant to be for a time when God's people were in their spiritual minority. But now with the coming of Christ, the time set by the Father has been fulfilled, and Christians are to live freely as mature sons apart from the law's supervision. Wow. That's profound. He penned that in 1982. I like it when things are dated back. It's just, it's cool. It's nice that people were writing about this stuff a while ago. So, and here's where we get into sonship. After faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor, for, everyone say four. For. for, for, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus, for, do you agree that it could also mean because in a sense, you're no longer under the tutor because now you're all sons of God. You were little boys under the law. And now you've become mm, sons. You've become sons. This is who God has made you. He's made you a son. A son and a daughter. Now, the law today, how does it work? Well, Paul says in Timothy, he says this, We know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate For the ungodly and for sinners. Are we righteous? Yes, we've become the righteousness of God in Christ. Does everyone believe that, that you are the righteousness of God in Christ, that God has made you righteous? Then the law is not made for a righteous person. Then the question that you may have is, if we don't have the law, how do we live our lives? How do we live our lives? Thank God, the answer's in the Bible. Romans 8, verse 14 and 15, and I love how this ties in to being a son. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. You see, we are privileged. We have been, apart from Jesus, the greatest gift we could have received is the Holy Spirit. And God has brought us into this place of being sons and daughters, and now he has given us his Holy Spirit. That is how we live today by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, he's holy. So, how, what kind of life are we going to live? A holy life. Because we're led by a Holy Spirit. So that we shouldn't have fear that. We suddenly people are going to go well, they're going to just commit the worst sins. No, no. When you are living by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will teach you to do more than the law ever could. The Holy Spirit, husbands, will prompt you to buy flowers for your wife. Wives, the Holy Spirit will prompt you to make breakfast in the morning for your husbands. Amen. You see it's just the Holy Spirit it's it's intimate it's a relationship and now you're living and you're not compelled by a set of rules and regulations you're not a little child anymore you've been made a son a daughter that is now led by the Holy Spirit a significantly better way to live and it's what God has called us into now Romans 8 15 for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear but you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cried, Abba, Father. You see, as long as you are under here, where Naaman was here in the illustration, you have a spirit of bondage again to fear. Why? Because you are fearing punishment. You know that if it's up to you and you don't obey perfectly, and it's impossible to obey perfectly, that you will be under the curse. That is the consequence in the Old Testament. If you disobeyed, cursed. That's it, under law. So there's a spirit of bondage again to fear, and it's an unhealthy fear of God. But we've not received that spirit. We've received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Abba, God is your Abba. Jesus referred to God as Abba, Abba, Father. Some people say, Dad, Daddy, mm. Papa. I remember when uh, I first heard someone refer to God as Dad, I was so offended. How can you call God Dad? I was highly offended. Mm. How dare you? Do you not know who God is? But then you see it in the Scripture that we've received the Spirit, we His children. We've received the spirit of sonship by which we call Abba Father. You know, it makes a difference, it makes a huge difference when you when you're praying to God, and the one side you've got, oh God, please, oh God. And when you have Abba, there's a sense of intimacy with Abba. That your father loves you. Yeah. You you become conscious of, of love. You become conscious of who. He really is. And you know what? The Spirit bears witness with that revelation. The Spirit bears witness with Abba. It's the Spirit that makes us cry out Abba Father. Isn't that awesome? Isn't it so, so good that God is your, your Father? He's called you to intimacy with Him. Okay. I'm not going to have time to go through that. Okay, part three. And let me bring this to a close. <laughs> Embracing the Spirit of Sonship okay now we know let me just i asked the father a while ago i said i I want more i want you to teach me more in sonship and I, i i want more verses i want more scriptures and he said to me the way jesus relates to me is the way i want you to relate to me because jesus was the firstborn of many sons and we've received his spirit we've received his spirit So the way Jesus related to the Father is the way we get to relate to the Father. So, before Jesus even did a thing, before he began his ministry, he had been baptized, and let me just go to verse 17 for the sake of time, and suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The Father opened the heavens on Jesus and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He hadn't done one thing, miracle yet and the father affirmed him you are my beloved son you'll only be ready for ministry you'll only be ready to be fruitful when you know that the father sees you as his beloved without anything you've done when you know that his love for you is unconditional and he accepts you as you are without any works of your own that's when you're ready that's how we must believe so straight after this He's received the Father's affirmation, and then Jesus was led up to the Spirit, by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterwards he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, What is the big temptation here? Is it turning stones into bread? What's the huge deal about turning stones into bread? No, where did the devil try to tempt Jesus? If you are the Son of God, God has just opened the heavens on Jesus and said this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. But the devil came and said if you are the Son of God, if you are the son of God. That was the actual temptation. But Jesus refused to perform to become. He refused to validate who he was as a son by trying to do things. He could have easily done this, but then he would be going down to lower ground by trying to prove that he's the son of God. No, no, the father's already said, you are are my beloved son. We do not have to perform to become. God says to you right now, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Look at Ephesians 1. If you're not convinced that this is how God sees you, look at this. Ephesians 1, 5-6. God, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved This word accepted in the Greek means highly favoured. God has predestined you from before the foundation of the world to become a son and to be highly favoured. And it was according to the good pleasure of his will. It was God's good pleasure to bring you into sonship. It pleased him to see you come from here to being a son. That's awesome. That's awesome. Okay. Can I go five more minutes? Okay. we are running a bit late. Can I go five more minutes? Is that cool? Awesome. I have so much to share. (laughs) So a little time. Okay. So the father actually showed me this parallel last night after the rugby. I said, Father, the rugby was very stressful. I need a revelation. (laughs) So... I just want to look at this serving. So we're sons, right? We're sons, that's who we are. Paul also called himself a servant of God, rightly so. So you may be sitting there thinking, okay, we're sons, but don't we serve? We serve God, we're servants of God. Absolutely. But you can either serve out of a spirit of sonship or out of an orphan spirit. Okay? Now we're going to look at two examples. Firstly, let's look at Jesus. This is serving with the spirit of sonship. John thirteen three to 5. They've just had the last supper. Okay. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Now, John obviously wrote this, this gospel, and Jesus didn't say, I know that the Father has given all things into my hands. This is something that the Holy Spirit has deliberately put in Scripture for us to learn from. I doubt that when John saw Jesus do this, he was thinking, Jesus he knows that the father has given all things into his hands that he's come from God no, no no when John wrote this retrospectively the Holy Spirit inspired these words so look at this Jesus knowing that the father had given all things into his hands this is a revelation of sonship I know that the think about it Jesus I know that the father has given all things into my hands I know where I've come from, God, and I know where I'm going, God. If you wanted a crash course on purpose and identity, this would be it. I know where I've come from. I know where I'm going. The Father has given all things into my hands. Then he rose from supper and he began to wash the disciples' feet. That is true service. It's serving with the revelation and understanding of who you are. You know that the Father has given all things into your hands. You know that God has blessed you, that God has said, "You're my beloved son," and then you can freely go and serve others. He stoops down and he washes the disciples' feet the night before he was crucified. Think about it. He washed Judas's feet. He washed Judas's feet. Yeah. He would betray him. That's grace. That is love, unconditional love, but He knew who He was. He knew He was the Father's beloved and when you receive that love you can give it to others. We love because He first loved us, 1 John 4 verse 19. We love others and God because He first loved us. So that is serving with the spirit of sonship. Now. They're serving with an orphan spirit. And many of us have been in this trap. We serve to become. We serve to prove ourselves. We serve to prove our worth. We think we have to do to become. And we think we deserve things for what we've done. Luke 15, Jesus says a parable, parable of the prodigal son. Quickly, two, he shares about two sons. I'm sure most of you are familiar with the story, but just to... Refresh the brains. Two sons. The, the older son took his inheritance, wasted it, completely wasted it. Came back home. The father lavished him with hugs, kisses, you name it. He was not expecting it. He came back to try to be a servant. God loved on him. He embraced him, and he brought him back into the house to be a son. Then there was another son, and this other son, all this time, was serving, he was obeying the commandments, he was doing the right things. And when the older son came back and God lavished his love on him, younger son came back, the other son was very disappointed by the way that the father reacted to this. So, there's just been a huge party of singing and dancing when the younger son came back God has lavished his love on the younger son and he's called everyone to come for a party because the son that was lost has come has come home That's right. but the oldest son was in the field and as he came a junior to the house he heard music and dancing so he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant and he said to him Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I've been serving you, I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as the son of yours came, who devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. Notice that the older, son, the older son says to the father, as soon as this son of yours, he doesn't say as soon as my brother. Yeah. He said this son of yours. It's like, you know, some of you may be familiar. When the dog behaves, it's your dog. When the dog doesn't behave, it's your partner's dog. Huh? You better look after your dog. Okay. But as long as the dog's behaving, he's your dog. Yeah. Okay? As soon as this son of yours comes home, you throw a party, but I've been serving you all this time and you've never even given me a young goat. Listen to what the father says. The father says to him, son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. All this time you've been serving outside the house. You think that you've obeyed me perfectly, but the reality is No one can obey me perfectly. You've been trusting in yourself. You've been trusting in your own service. But meanwhile, all this time, you're my son. All that I have is yours. You've been serving with an orphan spirit. You've been serving to try and prove yourself, to try and become. Meanwhile, I've loved you the whole whole time. You haven't enjoyed your inheritance. You've been trying to prove your worth, but I've loved you since the beginning. All that I have is yours. Notice that the oldest son refused to come into the house, and the father came out and pleaded with him. God pleaded with him to come home, to come and make merry. All that I have is yours. So do you see the difference between serving with the spirit of sonship and serving with an orphan spirit. I hope you're following. Yeah. God really wants you and I to embrace Him as Father, as Abba, as Dad. To enjoy that intimacy with Him as Father. And, uh, Let me just ask everyone, can you just close your eyes and I'll bring this to a close with prayer. Unfortunately, not everyone has been blessed with good fathers. Unfortunately, not everyone has maybe even had fathers. But God desires for you to know Him as Father. As Abba. And some people seem to find it easier to connect with Jesus than they do with the Father because of bad experiences, because of a wrong idea of who the Father is. But Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And Jesus is awesome. He is so good. He loves, he heals the lepers. He opens the eyes of the blind. He makes wine at weddings. He restores, He heals the brokenhearted, and He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. This is who your Father is.